0: Hi, I'm Imtiaz Tayev, and this is The Take. A few weeks ago, we got access to something pretty special, about a pretty special place.
1: So I set out initially to do a film about the old train station of Jerusalem and the old railway system.
0: That's Awad Juma. He's an executive producer at Al Jazeera's Doha headquarters. But he's also a filmmaker. His latest is called Jerusalem, a rock and a hard place.
1: I wanted to tell a story about how life used to be once upon a time before the Israelis came about and how their entrance to the city, rightly or wrongly, has deeply changed the nature of Jerusalem as a city and the people who live in it.
0: On this episode, he's going to retrace some of his steps and take us along through the old city and the new. We'll hear the voices of people who know Jerusalem best, the people who live there.
2: There's never been an Arab state here with the capital of Jerusalem. There's never been a Palestinian state here. This talk about Palestine, Palestine, I've never heard of anything more absurd. There's no question it's a
3: divided city, it's two cities. There's West Jerusalem and there's East Jerusalem, and they are not treated equally.
4: We say in Arabic, if you meet with two Palestinians, you have three opinions. Like and the same thing with the Israel. Five. Yes, you have five.
5: Netanyahu does not want to go in history as the one who made peace with the Palestinians. Point.
0: Awad sat down with the team to tell us about the inspiration for the film and how that all changed when he met a guy named Omar. Uh,
1: On my first shooting day, we were going to meet a a young Christian Palestinian whose name is Omar Harami um, for an interview. And he was going to be speaking to us about, you know, what it means to be a Christian in the city.
4: My name is Omar Harami. I'm a Jerusalemite. I'm a Palestinian. I'm a Christian. I do not put them in order, they're all on the same level for me. I was born in Jerusalem, and actually my roots go back to the time of Pentecost, to the first century. It is my hometown, it's the the place where my grandparents met, my parents got married. Um, My life is Jerusalem.
1: We had a nice cold juice just right next to the Church of Resurrection where we were filming with him. And we had this most amazing um, conversation, and, and and Omar was like, you know, what, what, what are you doing here? Like, I, I don't think you're really getting, you know, the meat of the story, and you really need to speak to so and so. And he started, uh, you know, <laughs> writing down all the different people he thought we should see, whether Israelis or Palestinians. And like, look, you have to speak to soldiers, you have to speak to settlers, you have to speak to Christians, Muslims, you have to speak to everybody. And I was sitting there scratching my head and I could see the cameraman going crazy. i like, what what are we, what are we going to, what the hell are we going to do? Because, you know, we have 14 days uh, to shoot this film. The film I came to film is gone. <laughs> it's gone out of the wi- window. And we have this young, um, dynamic young guy who wants me to meet all of Jerusalem essentially. <laughs> and he's like, you know what? Um, there's one place I'm gonna take you to. It's called Birnabala, and it's uh, one of the uh, just on the outskirts of the Jerusalem city. Literally, I felt like in a Hollywood movie in a bit of a creepy neighborhood. Disowned va- va- factories, uh, you know, broken down windows, uh, you know, um, villas that had nobody in them, and literally like cats walking everywhere, and there was like a lonely donkey was tied to. one of the poles in the neighbourhood, and there was nobody there.
4: And tell us what's happening here. It's a ghost town, literally, it's a ghost town. I remember when I was a little kid, I would come with my family, anything that you want to buy, um, fix a car, or uh, this was a business hub for Palestinians in Jerusalem. They come, they build a wall, and they shut it, and they say, you are no longer uh, have access to your neighbour. You, are, you no longer have access to your school. You no longer have access to your work.
1: As such, these people had to move out because they, there was no access to health, there was no access to schools, etc. And before you know it, Israeli, uh, the Israeli uh, forces had essentially succeeded in evacuating an entire uh, very thriving neighbourhood and turned it into a ghost town without necessarily firing a single bullet.
4: We Palestinians in East Jerusalem have become invisible. Um, If you wish to live all your life, part of West Jerusalem or in a settlement, and never see a Palestinian, it is easily done. If you want to be a tourist or a pilgrim coming into this land that many call holy, you do not see the Palestinians. You do not see the destruction and the devastation that is happening here. This is apartheid in the 21st century, and the world is silent.
1: The wall, the actual wall, and by that we mean eight to nine meter high uh, um, concrete slabs in, in the urban areas, is almost 700 kilometer long. And over 11,000 Palestinians are, are living in areas trapped by the wall. What does that mean? That means they're literally surrounded by a wall. And they, they, to get in and out of that, they need an Israeli permit.
5: I'm a professor at the University, and my campus is basically, the main campus is about three minutes by car. Before the wall. Now, when I head east to the university today, I am faced by the wall. And I, uh, I'm reluctant, but I almost kicked the wall.
1: Mustafa Sway is really a very interesting character. He is the Imam Ghazali chair of the Al-Quds University.
5: It might sound strange for a 60-year-old professor to kick the wall, but I would love to describe it as a stupid wall. It's a separation wall. It's, a part, it's an apartheid wall. It separates Palestinians from Palestinian only.
1: And so he's this charismatic old guy, and I likened him to you know a Palestinian Sean Connery um, with his white beard.
5: The political issue here is protracted, but it's solvable. Anyone who thinks that it's, you cannot solve it, it's an ideological position again. Uh, Netanyahu does not want to go in history as the one who made peace with the Palestinians. Point. That's his own personal legacy, but others might just do that. They will realize that you cannot basically drag this on forever, and I hope you know the sooner the better for all of us, not only for the Palestinians. And another
1: uh, issue that the film deals with is the issue of IDs. We've spoken about the other ways that the Israelis try to push Palestinians out of their territory. Is something called the ID policy.
5: Israel passed the law considering all East mites as immigrants, regardless whether you have had hundreds of years or more or family history in the city. They just decided to uh, consider us foreigners, literally. They provided us with this uh, residency permit, basically, uh, this ID, which they could withdraw at any uh, time if we, if we cross the law. If you
1: are Palestinian, and, of course, this law doesn't apply to Jews. It applies to Palestinian Christians and Palestinian Muslims. If you leave the city, not as a student, but to go work abroad, if you're out for a certain number of years, you simply lose that, right?
5: Okay. Just imagine the audacity of passing such a law in the United States, okay, uh, that will consider the Native Americans, the indigenous people, as foreigners, you provide them now with a green card rather than citizenship. And then you will tell them, you have to leave the country. That's exactly what's happening with these Jerusalemites
1: And that's very much uh, what happened to the eldest son of uh, Mustafa wife, Mahmoud.
5: Mahmoud tried for a year and a half to find a decent job. And you don't have to be Freud or Jung to, just, to realize that your son is really depressed. And one day t- he told me, Dad, I cannot keep taking pocket money from you. Which is right. And we both understood what, you know, his, what his statement meant. We both went silent. We knew that it, Mahmoud was asking for my blessing, if you will, that he would travel outside the country, to the United States in this case, where he would ultimately flourish. But he lost his ID because of this. It was either he will make it, Okay, as a uh, as a all young men and young women who deserve basically the best, but he's lost his ID and today he comes here as a tourist, and that hurts. Despite everything, he doesn't
1: lose hope. He's like, we're just human. Can we just go back to the basic? He kept saying to me, oh, what? "Like we are humans. They're Jews. They're, we are Muslims. Omar is Christian, and, and and we are the three communities who share the city." We have to, if we want a solution to the conflict of Jerusalem and and the rest of Palestine, we have to think of it as layers. There is no exclusive right for anybody. We all have a right here. So let's get together and find a way out. And that's kind of why in a nutshell.
2: When I hear Arabs today talking about they've got a connection here for generations, no such thing. The Palestinian nation, Arab nation does not exist. There's never been a Palestinian state. There's never been a Palestinian capital. And I challenge anyone to tell me when there has been here an Arab Palestinian state.
1: Daniel Luria, I describe him as a, as a settler. He describes himself as a proud Zionist. I met him, uh, uh, I actually called him up directly myself. He works for an organization called Atarit Kohanim, which essentially buys out old homes or, or homes around the city and particularly around the old city. And um, the aim is to create a Jewish majority in the city. And that is something he is very proud of and is something he says publicly in the film and in other other, other platforms where he gets time to speak. To stay, uh, it so he took us to this rooftop.
2: I'm going to get out on the right-hand side and go into that building there. Yeah.
1: But essentially, he didn't want to discuss how they had acquired. But it was a, clearly, obviously, that this was, once upon a time, a Palestinian house.
2: Just remember, you can't film once I go in, because it happens to be uh, whatever.
1: And, um, of course, you could see a security man with a gun uh, to, in his back and walked us upstairs and, like, don't film this, don't film that. It was, he was very nervous. <laughs> And eventually we got to the roof and what an amazing view it had. it had. You could see the golden dome of the rock in the distance. You came here when? 3,800
2: no, no. years ago. When you, no. When did you come I came here 3,800 years because There is no difference between Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, King Solomon, Rabbi Akiva, and the host of Jews that have lived around the world and have tried to come back here.
1: You keep saying this is, ours is this, do you, what about the layers of history and the various civilizations have come across here? What rights do they have?
2: I'll tell you what, there are empires that were here one day and today they're gone, they're bylines in history books, but they were empires, imperialists taking over the world. None of them had any rights here except for their own power to conquer at the time they were here. The only people that have always said for that same 3,800-year period since Abraham was here, the only people that are a connection here, the only people with sovereign rights here are the Jewish people.
1: I'm always like an optimist and, and maybe sometimes, you know, that, that that's hard to be when you get to meet people like Daniel. And and when you see the Israeli society, and we will see that in other characters in the film, that sadly that kind of perspective is actually mainstream in Israel. That is actually Israeli government policy. That is uh, American-sanctioned international policy now. The Americans have essentially uh, implemented what Daniel really believes. The very reductionist perspective. Jerusalem belongs to Jews. Why? Because God gave the Jews uh, Jerusalem and the Holy Land, and that's it, full stop. So the Americans last year when they moved the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem to to make a point that, hey, this is a Jewish state, this is a Jewish city, and uh, everybody, just get on with it. So sadly, and we saw also with the Israeli election that just happened, it's probably going to be the most right-wing government in Israeli history.
2: The fact that the city is united and under uh, uh, Jewish sovereignty, Israeli sovereignty, has brought uh, uh, a lot of... um, goodwill, success, obviously for the Jewish people, uh, for Am Yisrael, for the Jewish nation, but I think also right across the board.
3: Okay, I'd say um, there's no question it's a divided city, it's two cities, there's West Jerusalem and there's East Jerusalem, and they are not treated equally. Um, Their infrastructure is not the same, they don't get the same services or anything.
1: So one of many characters we visited was uh, Laura. Thank
4: you so much for meeting us.
1: Laura is an Israeli municipal official. She uh, belongs to a left-leaning party called Meretz. And um, Omar's like, OK, we'll go meet her. <laughs> I'll shake hands with her and we'll, we'll see what she has to say about our city.
3: East Jerusalem is, is gravely neglected in every possible way in terms of the infrastructure. Most of the neighbors of East Jerusalem don't have um, a sewage system. Uh, The only thing they get a lot of is is, um, uh, parking fines and uh, housing demolition orders. That's what, those are the only things that they get an extra supply of. I see myself as a Zionist because I'm proud that uh, our people have their state, but um, our state and our people have principles. And one of them is that, you know, everyone was created in the image of God and a lot of other aspects of Jewish tradition that are very uh, egalitarian and democratic. And I think that the state has culture, a Jewish culture, the way uh, uh, France has uh, French wine and cheese, but that doesn't mean that they should be against anyone else.
4: So, um, So you play Monopoly during your free time?
3: No, no, actually, this is a funny story. This is a present from the mayor to members of the city council. Um, this is a monopoly uh, Jerusalem game. And I almost, uh, I don't remember if I did even uh, write a letter of protest in the end, but this is what we were given as a present for the holiday. And what you can see here is, this is Jerusalem, right? Um, but you have here the city of David, you David, right? The Mount of Olives, the Knesset, um, uh, and Montefiore, windmill, the market and stuff, El-Aqsa is not here. (laughs) Um, The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is not here. And basically what you have is a bunch of Jewish sites and and various other allusions to other things. But it's uh, not a very balanced uh, picture of Jerusalem.
1: That particular scene, for me, for Omar, and I think for our audiences, when they watch the film, they will realize that really summarized the conflict. There used to be people here once upon a time, and another people came, and now the regional inhabitants are hardly featuring anymore in the city, and that was kind of rather sad.
6: I, I can I cannot live in a city that discriminates. Uh, uh, 40% of the residents.
1: Mir Margalit is, is a wonderful, like, a grandfather-like type figure. He's originally uh, from Poland. They ended up in Argentine.
6: My, my, my father was uh, a Holocaust survivor. Grew
1: up in a classic Zionist family whereby, you know, it's us against the rest of the world and we have to migrate to Israel because that's the only place we can be safe. So uh, young, happy, Mir, did exactly that in the late 60s and 70s, arrived in Israel, within months became an Israeli soldier, took on the uniform and went to fight in the Arab-Israeli war in 1973. I was,
6: during these days, so proud to be a settler uh, like Ben-Gurion, you know, like uh, others. Uh, it takes one or two years before I, I realize that something, it doesn't work. And
1: he said the changing moment for him was when he saw his colleagues at the army base, when they're out on operation, how they treated the old Palestinian couples and, and grandmothers and grandfathers.
6: And he, one day he said, hey, why to humiliate them? They are like the, the old men, the old women, remind me my, my grandfather, my grandmother. So why to humiliate them? And, and the, the answer was, you, you don't know them. You don't know them. When you will know the Palestinian, you will understand why. They just understand force, violence.
1: And, of course, he rebelled against that, and he realized that we're all human beings, and land is not more important than people. And that's a phrase he, he, he said more than once in the film, that people are more important than land. And that led him to first wanting to work within the system. He became a municipal officer, and he served for 20 years, and then left in disillusionment. He left, of course, before that, the army. He renounced, you know, uh, his, his Zionist beliefs and, and, and became a peace activist, a writer, and an author.
6: For the people in Jerusalem, you are a kind of traitor. Mir paid
1: a very heavy price for these beliefs he has. He is very lonely in the country because that kind of view is not very accepted in the Israeli society, and he had to change his entire life.
6: You are a kind of traitor. You work for the Palestinians, not for the Jewish people how can you do it
1: all his friends uh, his army friends his settler friends because he was a settler in Gaza at the time in the 70s he built a settlement with his own hands as he said so he had to leave he had to change his entire uh, entire
6: social uh, scene and i tried to answer them i tried to explain them that it, it it it's not it's a mistake i am what what i am doing i am doing for the, for israel for the jewish people because i am uh, I, I am convinced that if the occupation will continue, Israel will collapse.
1: And to this day, he says, you know, don't be fooled by, by someone like me. I'm a great friend of the Palestinians, but I'm a very lonely
6: voice. Ah, he thinks that we have to love, live in a few minutes.
1: Omar introduced me to Mir and we went to his house and we had about an hour time to interview him, so very short. And then I was getting very desperate, like, Mir, but there's not enough time. <laughs> Such amazing things you have to say, I really want more of you.
6: Maybe that we can go now to...
1: I was like, OK, you know, my wife is kicking us out of the house, so let's go to where I work. And uh, he went, uh, he took us to a very fancy part of West Jerusalem, um, where his uh, institute lie, where he works, it's called the Polonsky Academy. And uh, as we walk through the corridors, um, suddenly his face lit up, and he says, "Hey, Awad, Omar, come meet uh, my great friend here, David. He's a Moroccan Jew."
7: Jerusalem, it's it's really so complicated. I don't say complicated because
1: and um, you, have, you have to talk to him. So my cameraman was going crazy, like, who do we film? Like, there's so many people here, and everybody's talking, and they're all saying great things.
7: It will be there you are, here we are, and a world. But, I mean,
4: um, when you... Sorry to interrupt. And Omar was like, mm,
7: what can I say to this one?
4: But you said that it is, you see that Zionism being placed in the occupied territories, which is the West Bank... Gaza, and East Jerusalem included?
7: Yes, but I say that Jerusalem for for you and for us.
4: Because this is a fundamental question. If we're starting from the point that East Jerusalem, part of the West Bank, is occupied territory, that's fine, I mean the future of Jerusalem that...
7: I will tell you what I think about the future. My, my idea about the future. I would like to see two states, not one state, two states. Palestinian and Israeli, with two capitals. One, the West Jerusalem, in the control of the Israelis, Mm -hmm. East Jerusalem, the capital of the Palestinian state, but the Holy Area, Uh, yes, will be common. I don't know the way. The politicians will decide about it. I hope that both populations will be free.
4: But there's a big difference when it comes to, um, for us Palestinians, when we hear this um, narrative, with all due respect, because we feel that you are dealing, when you say that this is your country, then if it's our country, East, East Jerusalem is part of the Palestinian state by international law, when you interfere with how it should look like, this is somehow interfering with our sovereignty.
1: And they started kind of getting really serious, and Mir intervened, trying to light up the situation. And he
6: said, "But, but let let, let me say something. Yeah. He's not talking as an Israeli about. He's talking about a lover. We, we, we are people that we love Jerusalem so much that we cannot." Think on J- Jerusalem about Jerusalem, on on and, and the concept of a divided city. We, 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 we for us East Jerusalem is is part not part of the city. It's part of us of our heart. We love the city, but, but the part of the city.
4: The bad news that East Jerusalem, your lover, is already married to somebody else. <laughs> okay, this is the big problem, <laughs> the kind of
1: They got to have a laugh, uh, but it really showed, like, how divided people can be. And even with the most progressive voices, they could not square out how to live in the city, even though Mir had, like, given up everything he knows. I always say this in in, in discussions about Israel-Palestine, that somehow the occupation or the colonial force that be always managed to find a way to divide people. So I think the vast majority of Palestinians now either kind of really disillusioned or have moved on and are calling for a radical change to the solution, and by radical I mean calling for a humanistic approach to the conflict and saying, hey guys, look at South Africa, look at Algeria, look at Northern Ireland. We have to come to a stage where we just say, hey, we're humans, just give us our basic human rights.
0: That was Awad Juma. His film is Jerusalem, a rock and a hard place. You can link to the film by going to our website, aljazeera.com slash podcast slash the take. This episode was co-produced by Morgan Waters and Dina Kispé, with help from Ney Alvarez, Priyanka Tilve, Alexandra Locke, and Amy Walters. Ian Koss was the sound designer, Our social media producer is Natalia Aldana. The show's lead producer is Graylin Brashear. Special thanks to Awad Juma and Jamil Hodzik. That's it this week on The Take. And that's it for me as host of The Take. After nearly nine years at Al Jazeera, most of it reporting on South Asia and the Middle East, including Jerusalem, one of the most beautiful places I've ever lived, and probably one of my hardest assignments. I'm heading off on a new adventure with a new network in a new city. But I have to say, my journey with The Take, from idea to weekly episodes, has probably been one of the most rewarding of my career. We set out to tell stories that make this complicated world we live in a little more understandable. I think we succeed in that. And The Take will continue with that mission. Starting next week, Malika Bilal who you may know from the Al Jazeera English show, The Stream, will be taking over as host for the next little while. And before I sign off one last time, I want to offer my heartfelt thanks to the team at Jetty, past and present, for being on this ride with me. It's been a wild one. And I want to thank you, our listeners. You're the reason why this show exists, and I'll forever be grateful to you for taking the time to listen. I know I'll be tuning in for every new episode. The Take with Malika. We'll be back next week.